You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Every time Dave Asprey comes on this podcast, he changes my life, and that's no joke. And this time is no different. Dave, of course, is the founder of Bulletproof Coffee, and he's also the author of several books, including Game Changers and uh, The Bulletproof Diet, and most recently, Fast This Way. Burn fat, heal inflammation, and eat like the high-performing human you were meant to be. In this episode, we talk all about the best practices for fasting and how it can increase your overall health, brain power, longevity, and everything else. And Dave's done the research, lives the life, tells the tale. Here he is. First off, Dave Asprey, you've been on the podcast, I think like three or four times now. We went on for the, the Bulletproof Diet. We went on for probably either Superhuman or Game Changers or both of them. And now your, your latest book, I love this book, Fastest Way, Burn Fat, Heal Inflammation, and Eat Like the High-Performing Human You Were Meant to Be. And I have to say, I think in part due to conversations that we've had over the years, I do regular intermittent fasting, which is what you talk about in this book. Nice. But you really put an interesting spin on it and talk about fasting in a lot of different ways, not just food fasting, but other kinds of fasting. And then you talk about the chemical and molecular benefits of fasting. So we're going to discuss all this and how it not only helps you lose weight, but improves and sharpens the brain and leads to longevity and all sorts of other good things. So Dave Asprey, welcome once again to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me back on. There's always fun stuff to talk about. You're always doing something new and interesting. I'm like, wow, really? And I could see you being an early adopter of intermittent fasting because you know it was part of the Bulletproof Diet. And so I have 10 years of people's data from talking with him and using it. And I first saw keto that's a part of the Bulletproof Diet where you do it sometimes, but others. Keto went off the deep end where people are like, if you eat another carb, you're a bad person. And I just see it break people over and over if you don't cycle. I know because it broke me before I released the book. That's one of the reasons I wrote that one. And fasting is about to do the same thing. Like, oh, fasting makes me feel good. So if I fasted 16 hours and it worked, if I could just fast for 36 hours every day, then I'll be amazing. That's called starvation. So I'm seeing women first and then men they kind of hit a wall where like, I'm just going to fast more and more and more. And just because something's good doesn't mean even more of it's better. So the idea is how do you make fasting easy, sustainable for decades without suffering? And that's a different book than the typical fasting book, which is step one, don't eat for a while. Step two, it's good for you. Here's the science. Like, that, that's already been done. That, that wasn't meant to be this book. Right. Fasting is such an interesting thing because it's a combination of not only understanding nutrition and then the kind of bioscience of the body underneath nutrition, but also it, it, it's about habit forming. It's about psychology. It's about 
anti-aging because there's a lot of uh, different research results about the connection between fewer calories and anti-aging. And, you know, I'm sure you've read David Sinclair's book, Lifespan, which talks about that, which in your book, oh, Fast yeah. This Way, you mentioned the effect fasting has on the NAD plus cells or molecules or whatever. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know. Uh, but I know, but that's a big topic for, uh, do you take like NMN or NR, any of those? Yeah. Yeah. So I take NMN because that, that was recommended by Lifespan. I've used uh, NR and NMN for 10 plus years when the very first study came out. The most clinically studied is the true niogen, um, the nicotinamide riboside, but there's intriguing evidence for NMN. So I take that also. And I, I just got NAD injected this morning. So I also do it intravenously at clinic. So wow. we know your NAD levels decline between like age zero and age 90 by 90%. If you keep your NAD levels young, you'll actually perform better. So fasting is a way to do that. And there's lots of supplemental ways. I do it all. So uh, let me, I'm going to ask you, so I want to talk about fast this way and, and fasting in general, because you've really got it down yeah. to both an art and a science. But uh, do you think, my suspicion is MNN and all, all these NAD plus supplements help, and this is going to sound crazy, but help against COVID because- they really start out as anti-diabetes supplements and diabetes seems to be linked to susceptibility to COVID. There's some steps in the middle there, but essentially you're onto something. What's happening is anytime your mitochondria do a better job of turning food, which is glucose or ketones and maybe some amino acids, but usually it's glucose, then ketones, then amino acids, it turns those into energy. And if it does a really good job of that, you have low inflammation and you don't have high blood sugar. If it does a bad job of that, you have high inflammation and high blood sugar because you couldn't use the sugar to make electrons. It, it, it's like very obvious when you just think of it, like how good are you at taking this and making that? Well, NAD makes it so your mitochondria work better at converting sugar into electricity to do stuff, right? Whether it's to love or to walk around or just to you know, do something that isn't very smart, like eat a bunch of fried stuff and bad oils in the middle of COVID. But all of it comes from electrons. So if your mitochondria work really well, you'll have less inflammation and you're less likely to have severe symptoms from COVID. And diabetes is just a sign that you have weak mitochondria. And intermittent fasting is a major way to change that. Ketosis for brief cyclical periods of time is a major way to change it, which can happen in fasting, but doesn't have to. And then there's all these supplements that make it work better. Since I was a 300-pound dude with really poor mitochondrial function and all the diseases of aging before I was 30, I'm like, I have to get on top of this or I'm probably going to die or have some really bad disease. So I did. And I kind of became an expert at that because I'm a hacker and that's what hackers do. Yeah. And you, uh, I mean, not only that, you turned it into a very successful company. Like we haven't updated it in a little bit, but how's, uh, again, before we get into all the, the nuances of fasting, How's how's business? How's bulletproof coffee? My even my my wife comes to me a few months ago, and uh, I think we even exchanged emails then. And she's like, "I'm have you heard of this bulletproof coffee? I'm going to order a whole bunch." And so we we have bulletproof coffee all over the place. <laughs> I here. remember that email. <laughs> and it's, I'm like, "Yeah, don't you listen to my podcast? Well. Like Dave Asprey's been on my podcast five times." So <laughs> I'm always happy when my wife listens to my podcast. She's like, I listened to this episode. It was really good. I'm like, oh, you listen to my podcast? That, that's so cool. And I hope she didn't listen to the one where I talked about her. But uh, what's happening there with Bulletproof is during the pandemic, a lot of people said, you know, I've got to order stuff online. So I'm going to order stuff that's good for me. And that makes me feel full and relaxed. So it's almost like 
the products are all created so that after you eat them, you feel really full and you have a ton of energy. And so people are saying, I want that energy right now because I'm feeling depleted. So it's, um, it's still been rough because of COVID, you know, team disruptions and all. Uh, so Bulletproof is doing well. And my other companies, you know, the Bulletproof Cafe in LA, where for six years, grass-fed, local, properly made food, no seed oils, no bad stuff. Uh, man, it's rough being in the restaurant business right now. And uh, the biohacking conference, we went virtual this year, and I'm still working on making the next in-person one. So there's those things. And 40 years is in, my neurofeedback company is actually doing well. Because anytime people are more stressed and you have something that actually gives them more energy, energy is the antidote to stress. It's not just relaxing. It takes energy to relax. And that's why I thought this was the right time for a book on fasting. Because if you imagine going to the bank and you walk in and you don't have to withdraw anything, they just hand you some money right away because you walked in the door. And then like, oh, and we're going to give you some more money later today. And then next year, we'll give you a return on this investment. You're like, I didn't make an investment. You gave me money up front. Like, yeah, I know. But, but that's how intermittent fasting is. Because you didn't spend time or energy or money on breakfast. But you had more energy that morning, not less, because you did it right. And then later on, your cells get stronger and you don't get type 2 diabetes, which means you don't get cancer and cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's and all the other bad stuff that happens, of which diabetes is a major risk factor. So like, I, I didn't have to spend anything now. And I like everything lines up for this. So the ROI on intermittent fasting is one of the highest you can have unless you overfast or you're doing it wrong, in which case it makes you stressed. I think the question people have is, does fasting increase energy? Because on the one hand, you eat food to get energy. On the other hand, you know, you say, and you say in this book, you know, fasting correctly will actually increase energy. So maybe let's, we could start there. Like I think, and, and by the okay. way, I think, I think most people don't realize And by most people, I mean me, I, I just come to the realization <laughs> that energy is very, a very nuanced thing. And Obviously, it's critical to success, but the ways in which we waste energy or conserve it or gain it are are not so obvious, really. They're 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 almost so obvious. They're cliches, but at the same time, they're not obvious. So let's let's talk about energy and and the okay. relationship between that and fasting. I need more energy. So energy is more obvious than you might think, and you really are run on the same electrons that power your iPhone. And if you have a whole bunch of windows open, a whole bunch of tabs open, you know, the screen's turned up all the way, you're burning your battery more. Or if your battery can't hold a charge very well, your phone doesn't stay charged as long. So it's all a question of how quickly can you charge, how long can you stay charged, and how much do you waste? Inflammation's a waste of energy. And when you have a ton of energy, you feel great. And when you don't have a ton of energy, you might feel anxious or tired or lethargic or depressed or all these different things. But ultimately, it all comes down to energy, which is why my metric for everything that I do, whether it's what I put on my plate, for every everything I choose, how much energy did it take? I don't measure it in time or money. It's how much energy was it. And then it's time and then it's money. Because if you have no energy, you'll you'll just sleep during the time you have. <laughs> and if you have no energy and you have some money, you'll spend all your money to get your energy back because energy is the most precious. right? So it's how much do you invest and how much energy do you get back? Right, because if you have enough energy, you can always make time, or you can make money. But if you have no energy, you're screwed. So biologically, here's why fasting: if you don't overfast and you do it the right way, why it gives you more energy. And there's three components to this. And why don't I start with the hardest one first? Okay, it, it'll make sense. But the other two are easy. Okay, there's an algorithm for all life forms on Earth, and this comes I, my my uh, concentration in my undergrad degree was in artificial intelligence. 
or at least a branch of it. And my whole career in Silicon Valley was complex systems and behaviors and stuff. So let's pretend you're God and you want to make a single cell life form. It's very dumb. It can only do a few things. It doesn't have a brain. It can't really sense very much. So the first thing it has to do is not get eaten. So that's fear. Run away from kill or hide from something that might be scary. And you have to do this with all of your energy, 10 times focus. Okay. That's just that that's the first step. Otherwise, you'd just be eaten and the life form you'd create in this little sim universe we're making would, would be useless. The second thing the life form has to do, the first one's fear. The second one is feed. Why? Because famines kill most life over the course of the last two billion years. And this is why there's a voice in your head that says, eat everything. Because all life will eat everything that's available in front of it because it's a survival thing. So 10 times energy on fear, five times energy on food compared to what it actually requires. Uh, sorry, just to back up a second. Mm -hmm. So when you say 10 times energy, five times energy, what, what's, what, what are you multiplying? What's, what's going when on? When I say there? energy, it's, it's focus. And if there is something that is that your automated threat detection system that is not your thinking if it determines something's a threat, it will immediately change your energy production throughout the entire body to help you respond to the threat so that you'll survive. It'll take over. So when there's fear, mm -hmm. your body needs to do 10x the energy for a focused amount of time. Well, it, it'll put 10 times the focus on it. It might not actually be 10 times the number of electrons used. Mm -hmm. But for instance, the number one fear of people in the US is not snakes on a plane, it's public speaking. So most people you tell them, I'm going to put you on stage in five minutes. And literally, you, if you measure the energy production, they start sweating. They start shaking. Like their blood flow changes. Their eyes dilate. And the body is like getting ready to fight. And it's putting all of the energy that should have gone into folding proteins and you know, preparing the body or planning for the future. All of that stops. And it's like straight on amygdala. Like, okay. right. And that is what's happening in our brain all the time. And it's happening in our body. If it might be a threat, then respond as if it's a threat and stop doing everything else. And when th there's not too much of a threat, then, okay, what about food? I got to make sure that there's more food. Okay, this is not our conscious thinking at all. This is what a bacteria does in a Petri dish, these same things. Oh, there's a threat, and the threat might be ultraviolet light. It doesn't really matter. It goes, oh, let me make a bunch of toxic chemicals because that's how I process fear if, if I'm a bacteria, right? Or if you're a cactus, I'm going to make extra spines if I'm in a threatening environment. And if I'm in a non-threatening environment, I make less spines because I put my energy into something that's not fear, right? So then we go to food. There's a third thing. You're designing life to live forever on Earth. They're all F-words. So we have fear, we have food. What's the other F-word that all life has to do to stay around forever? You know, fucking. <laughs> oh, dude. I was going for fertility, but if you just want to, <laughs> you just want to go for the F word, man. I, I'm, I'm going to respect that. Well, but that's yeah, a, okay. that's the precursor for fertility. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But here's the deal: you're going to put about three times more focus on that than it really needs, because there is a voice inside your body. It is the voice of a quadrillion ancient bacteria running your systems right now, saying if you don't have sex relatively frequently, the Earth will end. Because from the perspective of a dumb little bacteria, if you don't reproduce the species, the species will go extinct. Because they're too dumb to know that there's billions of us around there and that that's not a threat. So we're smart enough to, oh yeah, there's a taco coming later, it doesn't matter. But they're pulling the energy strings because they make the energy, but they also are the first-line threat detectors. So what's going on here? Why does fasting give you more energy? Well, in Fast This Way, one of the studies, 15% of the average person's thoughts every day are about what's for their next meal. Now, 
if you can manipulate your hunger hormones via fasting, via some of the hacks in here, so that there is no voice in your head making you think about food, you got 15% of your energy back. 15% of your thoughts return to functionality instead of thinking about tacos. That blows me away, right? The implication, though, is why I went and I fasted in a cave for four days, James. Actually, yeah. I didn't even finish the first part. So we were talking about energy from fasting. I, I'll, then I'll talk about the other, the, the big fear word. So with fasting, you got energy back because you're not thinking about food because when you fast properly, it actually turns off the hunger hormones. It doesn't leave you hungry. And the second thing fasting does, you take a percentage of the energy production of your body and you turn it towards what's in your stomach and you start chewing on the food. And it takes energy to chew on food. And I say chew, you're enzymatically breaking it down, but you've got to make lipase and you've got to make all these enzymes and you've got to move it through the body and it's actually work. And when your body's working on food, it is not working on cleaning up your cells. It's not working on thinking. So a portion of your energy goes to what's in the gut, right? And that's kind of cool. So now we saved 15% of our thoughts or more. We saved all the energy that was going to go into digestion. And fasting, even an intermittent fast every other day, three days a week, will raise ketone levels in the body. When your body burns ketones and glucose, or instead of glucose, ketones have more electrons in them than glucose does. So you're like, okay, well, let me get this straight. I wasted less energy thinking about food, I wasted less energy digesting food, and I made more energy from burning fat than I would have if I was burning carbs from food because I'm burning my own fat or I'm burning some MCTs that you can have during a fast. Either so wait, way, so, so wait, is you've just got three more things going on. Is it because burning fat releases more ketones? Eating fat that you can burn for energy turns the fat into ketones. It's just the simple idea that calories are a unit of energy. So calories are not bad. And when you burn a ketone, you get two more electrons than when you burn sugar. So ketones are more energetically dense because fat's more energetically dense. So when your body gets those, it's like, yeah, it, it's almost you go to the gas station, you put in the your 97 octane racing gas and your car runs really well and you put in the 92 octane crappy gas and your car sort of sputters. There's actually more energy that's available from ketones. And the part of your brain, the neurons, in studies, they'll actually use all the ketones present before they'll touch glucose because they love it. They're, they're crying out for energy. Your neurons have 15,000 mitochondrial little power plants in them. Your average cells have a few hundred. So these are like the energy-burning rock stars of the brain, and they're starving for energy. So you're fasting. They're like, oh, I have to think about less crap. I had less stuff going on digestive-wise, so I had more energy. And you gave me high-energy fuel all at the same time. Like, this is the best morning ever. That's why it works. Let, let me ask a couple of questions, because why then did the body evolve to basically, I mean, we get most of our energy in life, almost everybody gets most of their energy in life from burning glucose. Hardly anybody thinks about, oh, I need to burn more ketones. So why, why aren't we naturally set up to burn ketones from food instead of glucose? We are naturally set up to burn ketones uh, from food or to burn ketones from our body. We're simply set up to be lazy and to not die. Now remember, put on your God hat in your little sim game again. You want to build a bacteria that thrives or a bacteria that will live forever. So humans can eat all sorts of crap and survive, but I'm not interested in that. I want to know what, what should I eat when in order to thrive? Mother Nature doesn't care much about thriving. It is don't die, keep the species alive. That means you can eat grains, you can eat snails if you need to, you can eat all sorts of stuff. And it's probably not the best food, but it's better than dying. Right. And glucose is broadly available. So I guess the key is very broadly and, and naively, I'm going to say 
eat the minimum amount possible so you're not wasting energy eating crap, but eat the foods that end up giving you more energy than you otherwise would have gotten eating a normal American diet. That is almost entirely true. It's 100% known that a, a major caloric surplus, in other words, eating way too much, is inflammatory and bad for you. You don't need to do it. The minimum possible amount of food, even if it's high-energy foods that you can eat, it's not a good life. I, I have a few friends who for years, like 20 years, have been eating a third less calories than they actually need because they read some studies about life extension. And they're very thin, very cold, and they're hungry all the time. And they say, well, I just got used to being hungry all the time. And you know, I know I'm going to live longer, but I'm like, man, that's not much of a life. So you don't need to go there. And one of the risks of fasting is that you could go there because you really have so much control over your hunger. You just stop worrying about food. And worry is an interesting word because worry is fear. And what I had going on when I was fat was this weird dynamic. People had told me, Dave, if you don't eat six times a day, your body will go into starvation mode and then you'll get fatter. And I'm like, I'm 300 pounds. I don't want to get fatter. I'll do anything to not get fatter. I'll eat six times a day. I'll eat 10 times a day. I don't care. Like, I just don't want to be fat. I went to the gym an hour and a half a day, six days a week to try and fix the problem. It didn't work, but I was willing to do it. So what's, you know, what's happening with worry there is partly starvation worry. So now we take it from five times focus of fear to 10 times, sorry, five times focus for food to 10 times focus on starvation and dying of lack of food. And this is why when people say, oh my, I'm starving, I got to go get lunch. Your body actually believes you're starving. Your brain knows it's going to take me two to three months to starve to death. I, I could go a week without food. It would suck, but it's not harmful. But man, the body does not like that message even a little bit. And that is why when people think about fasting, it triggers a fear response. The other reason, in my case, is that there's a, a word that I love, and it's hypoglybitchy. <laughs> and, or hangry is the other version of it. When I weighed 300 pounds, if I got hungry, I was a jerk. I think I was a jerk even when I wasn't hungry. But I was a really big jerk when I was hungry. So now I'm getting to think, man, if I don't have you know, a constant stream of food, not only am I going to get fatter, because then I might go into starvation mode if I don't have it, so I could die, and I'm going to act like a jerk. So I, I was literally afraid on multiple levels. And that takes it out of just hunger into anxiety. So I hired a shaman to drop me off in a cave for four days with no food and no people anywhere for 10 miles in any direction so I could, I could face that and I could you know, really sit with it. And if I was really hungry, I wanted to go lick the wall. Like, there's nothing to eat there. And that's a relatively radical way to approach it. But I wanted to get on top of the fear that was tied to food. And that's the other reason I wrote fast this way. It's not the hardest I don't eat. The problem is most people will never try it because of that process I just walked you through around, but I would die. I would starve. I would act like a jerk. I'd be so tired. I couldn't do it. None of those are actually true unless you don't know how to do it. At which point, if when I weighed 300 pounds, you said, Dave, have water for breakfast. I would have not been able to do my job. And so we're sitting here, James, and we have you know, millions of people listening, and many of them, there's kids running around, they're trying to focus on their job, they're doing all kinds of stuff. They're not going to want to be low energy, cold, shaky, hungry, and unfocused when they're trying to handle way more than they had to handle a year ago or two years ago. So how do we make it so fasting is safe and it's convenient and it's doable for decades without it becoming harmful? And that's a much harder problem than 
just don't eat for a while, it's good for you. And it has to have a, a net increase in energy. So you've described yeah. kind of the path we're going to get there, which is, well, at the very least, you're reducing spending energy by thinking less about food. Your body spends less energy on digestion. You know, you don't have certain worries related to either starvation or eating too much or whatever. And you're potentially burning more energy because fat allows you to be burning ketones rather than um, kind of less energy uh, dense glucose. So, but but Correct. the food itself also needs to provide energy. So when you, you you implied, for instance, fried foods, no good because there's probably a lot more just non-energy molecules in fried foods than in vegetables, for instance. Well, when we look at calories, we have these these. There's actually not that many calories in, calories out people left because most of them died early of Alzheimer's or diabetes or something. But um, there are still a few researchers who say oh, it's just about calories. And that is a mean-spirited false statement. And I believed it, and many heavy people believe it now, which puts all of it on willpower, uh, which doesn't work. Here's how you can prove that it's not just about calories or energy from food. I live on a small organic farm. We raise sheep, we raise pigs, uh, we raise chickens. And I've done the research in agriculture. If you are eating industrial meat, what they do, they'll take a cow, they'll put a little pellet, a waxy pellet in the cow's ear. This is a concentrated mold toxin that's a thousand times more estrogenic than estrogen. When they put that in the cow's ear, it'll soak into the fatty membranes throughout the cow, and that cow will get fat on one third less calories. And they actually measure caloric efficiently. How is it that different calories could be more efficient than others in cows, but not in people? Okay, since we have massive data, very quantified, they weigh the animals, they do all this, how much food did they eat? Well, different foods do different things to us. So if you want to fast without being hungry, the trick is, what did you eat in your last meal? And there are five big classes of food toxins that trigger cravings. And what you find when you embark on an intermittent fasting journey is that, you know, normally I'm not, I'm not really hungry. But then some mornings you wake up and you're ravenous. Like, what is going on? Like, I, I'm so hungry. I'm just thinking about food all the time. You did something to cause that, right? Maybe you just got a really bad night's sleep. But most likely you ate something the night before that messed up your energy production. So your body is low on energy because you gummed it up. In the case of fried foods, you're getting omega-6 oils, which are toxic. I've been... Uh, encouraging people to avoid those since I, my first blog post in 2010. It's like, guys, this type of oil that's abundant at restaurants and in our society is bad for you. And the less of it you eat, the better you'll perform. I'm curious if there's a definitive comparison, like, okay, if you eat a bunch of French fries as opposed to a plate of beets or Brussels or, you know, whatever vegetables is good, what's the difference in energy? Like, well, if I eat French fries, will the next morning I have brain fog as opposed to if I eat the Brussels sprouts, or what's what's a good comparison in that sense? Well, it turns out the French fries have more energy because if you just look at the number of calories in there, they're full of oil and they're full of starch. So technically, if you're a calories in, calories out person, those are higher energy. However, when you eat these omega-6 oils, canola oil, soybean oil, corn oil, safflower, all the nut and seed oils that are cheap and abundant, those oils, when they're fried, they are... Uh, they're damaged and they go into the body and they make free radicals. Now, what a free radical is, is an electron that should have gone into a thought or an action that instead went into inflammation. 
So what they do is they lower your cells' ability to make energy efficiently. And, and this is the really evil part, the body's energy production things, the mitochondria and your cell membranes, are made out of tiny droplets of fat. So the body's like, you just gave me a whole bunch of this inflammatory damaged fat. So I'm trying to burn it. I'm making a lot of free radicals. It, it's like one of those rolling coal trucks. So there's lots of waste coming out of it. And then it gets worse because it tries to make batteries out of these damaged fats. And all of a sudden now the batteries that, that are made as this fat gets incorporated into your tissues, they're low power batteries. They're the Tesla with the cheapest battery pack, not the biggest battery pack. So you get a short-term hit from, from free radicals and you get a long-term hit. So if you eat the fried stuff, you're going to be hungry the next morning because of all this excessive pollution in the body. And studies show the inflammation that happens from a plate of French fries cooked at a restaurant and that used oil they've been using for a long time, it creates way more inflammation for longer in the body than just smoking a cigarette, which is also very bad for you. So if you give me a choice between a plate of restaurant French fries and a cigarette, I would reluctantly choose the cigarette, but I would fast from both because that's better. And and what about a comparison? So what, let's say there's the James who has French fries and in an alternative universe is the James who has a plate of vegetables. Okay. The next morning, how are the two Jameses feeling? Well, the French fry James is going to feel worse. But if you ate just a plate of steamed Brussels sprouts, you're also going to feel really hungry. Because the body's going to eat that and go, you idiot, there's no energy in here. A plate of Brussels sprouts might have 100 calories, and it's going to probably take as much energy to digest those Brussels sprouts as was in them. So now you've also triggered a craving because you just didn't eat enough energy. Now, if you had to put a bunch of grass-fed butter on those things, you'd probably feel fine in the morning. And if you'd thrown a little bit of grass-fed steak or hamburger or a pastured egg on them and had some protein and more saturated fat in that egg yolk or that meat, you would actually feel incredibly full, satisfied, and dialed in. So it's really a question of, do you know how to eat before you fast? And if you get a craving during a fast, do you use your willpower to muscle through it and win sometimes, and the other times the donuts in front of you win? Or do you have tools that you can use during a fast to turn off hunger and cravings so you don't get distracted? And that's the tricky part. And that's where I've pissed off some of the, the hair shirt fasters uh, for sure with this book. You know what a hair shirts are? No. Man, I keep, it's, I, maybe it just sticks in my head because I'm weird. So I studied religious studies in my undergrad as well. I'm, I was one class away from getting a little uh, concentration in that. And there's a sect of, I think they were Catholic monks in the 14th century. And they would weave shirts out of human hair. And they did this because it was super itchy. It was the itchiest shirt they could manufacture. It's much worse than wool. And they would do this and they wear the shirts because suffering is good for you and it reminds you of what a bad person you are. So they do it and then they would like self-flagellate, like hit themselves with whips and stuff like that. Um, well, you can choose to be a hair shirt faster where I'm going to fast in the way that causes me suffering because I'm tough. Or you could say, I had stuff to do. I want to take care of my family. I wanted to do my job. I didn't want to yell at people. So I am going to, in the middle of my fast, do things that allow me to get the benefits of the fast without having to suffer. And that's the three big fasting hacks in the book. So I tell you when to have dinner so that you have an easier fast the next day. I tell you what to have when you eat so that you're less likely to have cravings. Basically, you avoid five buckets of things and three things to do during a fast so that if you're getting either low energy, tired cravings, you can stop them, but still continue the fast and get the metabolic benefits. You do that for a while, you get stronger and stronger and stronger at fasting, and life gets better. So um, 
planning my dinner and I'm planning to intermittent fast the next day. Uh, let's say I haven't even had a meal yet today. I'm having and I'm having a fairly early dinner so I can get a good sleep tonight. Good for you. Dinner at five or six will change your life instead of dinner at seven or eight. It's it's a huge improvement in circadian timing. Yeah, my own intermittent fasting is basically involves something like you know bulletproof coffee or the equivalent uh, in the morning, and then an, an early dinner, and that's about it. When when I'm doing intermittent you're, fasting, you're doing it right, man. <laughs> you, you will live longer and feel better on that regimen. And people who start paying attention to how they feel oftentimes end up there. The ideal time to eat if you don't care about social norms is 2 p.m. But almost no one does that. So eat at five or six. That's close enough, right? Because practicality matters. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting... And, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology 
takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I've had a lot of guests on who talk about dieting and anti-aging. Everyone has different opinions about different foods. Like somebody will say, this food is the best you could eat. And then another person says, no, that's the worst food you can eat. And, you know, on and on. There is no, the problem with doing a podcast with a lot of people who talk about nutrition is that every, you know, you, you have five nutritionists in a room. They have six different opinions about broccoli. So what, what, what should we do? And how to, and even in your book, there's lots of information about food and it's hard to navigate through to see what's the best to eat when, even though you are concrete. Yeah. Any nutritionist who says kale is good for you is wrong. Okay. That's the first thing you need to know because kale's gross and things that gross can't be good for you. It, it's just, it's a law. I agree. Thank God you said that. Like that and wheatgrass <laughs> are the worst. Uh, totally. I, I'm with you. Now, here's why the nutritionists um, are confused. Um, and by the way, I'm talking about nutritionists. If they're dietitians, the vast majority of dietitians are responsible for giving you NutraSweet Jello in hospitals and cornflakes. So if it's a dietitian, sorry guys, you need to get another like another life. <laughs> and yeah. there are a few functional dietitians, and you guys are excused from what I just said. But the typical ones who like newspapers will call to say you should have a balanced diet of you know corn syrup and whatever. No, that is not what we're talking about. So we're going to toss those guys out of the conversation. It's that these five buckets of things that cause cravings, some of them are universal. Like, I don't think most people are going to argue that corn syrup and margarine are good for you. Like We pretty much know th- those are out. But if one-third of the population is sensitive to something, and for them it causes severe cravings and inflammation, but two-thirds of the population is good for them, until we sort that out, it's really hard to do this. So what I've done in Fast This Way, I said, all right, here's the five buckets of things that are likely to cause cravings, and they might not for you. For instance, you said beets or Brussels sprouts. Now, beets are relatively high in oxalic acid, which is one of the five big categories of toxins. It's the thing that's high in kale and raw spinach. It is generally not good for anyone to eat high amounts of oxalate, but some people handle it better than others. A lot of people are eating, especially raw beets, and they're saying, oh, this is great. I just did this beet juice smoothie. Well, here's the problem. It's going to give you kidney stones. It's going to cause little crystals of oxalic acid when it meets calcium in your blood. They travel around. They get in your brain. They get in your vulva if you're so equipped. They get in your joints. They give you sore feet, and they make you stiff in the morning. Or maybe you have really good gut bacteria. You can handle more beet juice than I can. 
I'll tell you, if I eat a plate of beets, I'm sensitive both because of that and I have something called the NOS3 gene, which means that I'm more likely to make the wrong kind of nitric oxide from those beets. They wouldn't be good for me and they would cause cravings. But if you love beets and you are totally satisfied and full when you have beets with some fat on them, they're not a problem food for you. So it's this idea of, are they good or bad? No, they're just food for some people, but they're not compatible with others. But if you believe that beets and kale are God's food and you must eat those the way I did when I was a raw vegan, you're going to be hungry all the time and your fasting is going to be painful. And when you just realize you have permission to just say, you know, those don't work for me. Another one of the five categories, we talked about omega-6 oils already. Those are just, those are, those are bad for everyone. And sometimes, especially if you're vegan, you're like, but that can't be, but it is. <laughs> like your, your body is not made out of plant fats. Your body is made out of animal fats and it's hard to make animal fats out of plant fats. So you get disturbed fatty acid metabolism if you only eat plants. And I was a raw vegan for a long time. I, I get it. So another one of the things that messes with everyone over time is phytates or phytic acid. And this is when you follow the 1980s advice, you should always eat whole grains. Well, here's how a typical nutritionist, um, especially an old school one, will think. Food has calories because calories make you fat, calories are bad. Okay, Calories give you energy. They don't make you fat if they're the right calories and you eat the right stuff. So calories are necessary for life. They measure energy. So they'll say, eat foods with less calories. That's going to make you hungry because it had less energy and you have hunger to get energy but they'll tell you to do that. That's why the plate of Brussels sprouts with no butter is not going to make you feel good. Then they'll say, and what good stuff is in there? Oh, a whole grain? It has fiber. Fiber, good. Now, they never talk about the bad stuff that's in them because it's not in the universe of common nutrition. So you could literally go to one of these, these people with this algorithm for thinking and say, I have a bowl. It's a bowl of cyanide, but I put a vitamin capsule on top. And they go, how many calories are in there? And you're like, there's 20. Like how many nutrients? Oh, there's a lot. Great, it's nutrient-dense. You should eat it because they don't ever look for poison or toxins. But in the plant world and even in the meat world, everything is a mix of energy, good stuff, and bad stuff. And the bad stuff isn't equally bad for everyone. And what that means, you find the stuff that's the worst for you and you cut it out of your life and you just have magic levels of energy. And I am one of those lucky people where I probably have more of that than average given my health background. And I've been able to dial in on the research and figure it out. So one of these things is phytic acid. What it does in whole grains is it binds to the minerals your body needs to live. And plants do this. Remember that F word, fear? Run away from, kill, or hide from scary things. I'm wheat. I can't run away because I have roots. How do I kill scary things that are eating my babies? Well, I cover my babies in poison. And the smart humans strip off the poison and eat the guts. And the humans who forgot about poisons, they just eat the outside with all the poison in it. And then they can't absorb zinc and iron and magnesium and boron and silica and all the other things that our bodies need. So for every gram of plant-based protein that has phytates in it, you need another gram of animal-based protein to overcome the phytic acid. So if you're doing a lot of that stuff, you're going to be hungry the next morning. So, wow, who would have thought? So that's another category, right? And we go down the list in the book, there's... Um, Let's see. From memory, I've been talking about this so much in interviews that you I'm, talk about uh, I'm lectins. going back to see which ones I've talked about. Lectins, thank you. I knew I was missing a big one. So in 2010, my first blog post, like, guys, lectins are one of these weird things in foods, and they mess with some people. And it turns out the nightshade family, which is bell peppers, tomatoes, potatoes, and 
spicy peppers, including jalapenos, which makes me very sad. I grew up in New Mexico eating green chili. I grew up with chronic musculoskeletal pain. That's why I had arthritis in my knees when I was 14. I'm one of the one-third of people who has a direct, it's not even an allergy response, it's a genetic response where the polysaccharide sugar coating on my cells is a direct match for bell peppers or any one of that family. So when I eat those, those proteins stick to my cartilage and they cause inflammation and pain. <laughs> but if you have slightly differently configured sugar molecules on your cartilage, you don't have the problem. So lectins are made in your body. You make more than a thousand different forms of these every day. They're not all bad, but there are some that are triggers for many, many people. And over the last 10 years, there's been more discussion about lectins. They're one of the big things in the Bulletproof Diet and in Fast This Way. You may be totally fine. You can eat mashed potatoes and they don't mess with you at all. But if they do mess with you, you eat them and the next morning, your neck is sore, your joints are sore, and you're hungry. Well, there you go. They're not compatible with you. It, but they weren't good or bad. They either work or they don't work. And that's where a lot of nutrition, we want to be dogmatic. We say, this is bad for everyone. And when people go to fastthisway.com, there's a roadmap, which is basically all the foods you can eat stack ranked. These ones don't mess with almost anyone. These ones mess with everyone. The ones in the middle, they're suspect. And you need to find out, just acknowledge these may cause cravings. They may not cause cravings. And once you give yourself freedom, to oh, you know what? That didn't work for me. And it wasn't just random. It was caused. That's awesome. And that is free, that download. One issue might be that let's say every day you eat McDonald's. In your stomach, you'll, your stomach, your, your gut will basically grow bacteria that is addicted to McDonald's food. So when you first try to cut it out of your diet, this gut bacteria is like, what the hell's going on? And because there's a lot of, you know, neuron, serotonin, whatever in your, in your gut, you'll feel these cravings for several weeks while the, while the gut bacteria is still alive. Like, how do you know when you've gone past the stage where, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to survive that stage where you have these enormous cravings for what you've already been eating? Because your bacteria is all set up for it. It's actually pretty easy to get past that if you know the tricks. Here's what's going on there. You're correct. Your gut bacteria are looking for stuff. Now, it, go, it all goes back to fear. Life is very consistent. Now, the bacteria in your gut are saying, we're used to getting our daily shovel of bad fats and our daily shovel of corn syrup. Uh, and what else is there? Maybe a little bit of potato. <laughs> um, and some industrial meat with antibiotic residues. So they're sitting there and it doesn't come today. And they freak out. Now, they can't really run away, their bacteria. Uh, they can't really hide because they're in your gut. So what are they going to do? They're going to kill. And the way they kill is they make something called lipopolysaccharide, which is a well-known bacterial toxin. It's called an endotoxin because it's made inside your body, E-N-D-O toxin. And lipopolysaccharides are something that cross the gut barrier, especially if you eat like stuff that's not compatible with you because then you'll actually have a weak gut barrier. And then this lipopolysaccharide just walks right through, gets in your circulation, goes to your brain. It turns down energy production in the brain and turns up inflammation and turns up anxiety. And you feel like crap and then you want to make it go away. So then you eat the McNuggets. Well, what if there was a way to stop the lipopolysaccharide from these angry bacteria from getting to your brain? There is. And it's a supplement that's been used for 10,000 years by humans. And I recommend in the book that you might want to consider this. Flintstone vitamins? Flintstone. It was gummy bears. <laughs> it's activated charcoal. And activated charcoal is a unique molecule. It's made from 
ideally coconut shells. That's the stuff um, that I manufacture, but there are many brands. Like I said, it's been used for 10,000 years. You go to India, they sell it on street corners for any kind of digestive distress. But when you're fasting or frankly, when you eat junk food, you take charcoal with it, it'll stick to the bad stuff your gut bacteria make so that it doesn't harm you and your cravings go way down, like really seriously down. So when people start fasting their first day, you know what? You might want to have a bottle of activated charcoal nearby and you take it on an empty stomach. It'll absorb pharmaceuticals. It'll absorb toxins, it'll absorb some heavy metals, pesticides, all that stuff, but especially lipopolysaccharide. So you take it when you have a craving or take it before you have a craving. And magically, the cravings don't happen nearly as much. But you still may be low on energy because your cells are used to getting glucose all the time. They're weak. Your power plants can be configured to either take sugar in or to take fat in or to do both. If you're a highly resilient human or animal, you can do both. But since you're probably configured to do glucose, the body's like, oh man, do you know how much work it's going to be to go through in a quadrillion mitochondria and teach them all to eat fat and sugar? Like that's that's a lot, that's too much work. I'm just going to give you some cravings because I don't want to do the work. Mm. And by the way, for me to do that, I'm going to need the extra energy. Could you have a Snickers bar, right? Well, that's where the three things you do during a fast to make the fast livable come in so that magically you have enough energy to reconfigure the body and teach it that it will always have fat available. Therefore, it must always be able to burn fat. And you want to go through those three hacks to make fast not hurt? Yes. Okay. The first one in the book is black coffee. Now, that alone is offensive to the hair shirt water-only fasting crowd that says, you have to only have water because that's what the mice had in the study we did in 1984 or whenever the studies are. And water fasting, if you're dying of cancer, you might want to do it. You need to be medically supervised for longer fasts. And it's, this is combined with rest, relaxation, meditation. You're on a couch. It's a spiritual fast and a cleansing fast, but it's not a working fast. So you're doing a working fast. You have black coffee. Why black coffee? Because I sell it. No, it won't <laughs> change my life if everyone listening buys coffee from me or doesn't. Bulletproof is doing very well. We talked about Black coffee is magic. And here's why. This study didn't come out when I first launched Bulletproof Coffee. It came out, I think, about six years ago from the University of California at San Diego. And they found that the amount of caffeine in two small cups of coffee doubles ketone production. Hmm. So you wake up in the morning, you're going to have a very small amount of ketones because you probably were asleep for eight hours, let's hope. And you didn't have a snack after dinner, let's hope. So you might have already gone four hours after dinner, eight hours. Hey, you're already 12 hours into a fast. What do you know? That wasn't so hard. But so there might be trace amounts of ketones forming. Well, the caffeine helps form ketones. It also directly is a hunger suppressant and it gives you more energy and it turns off cravings. So that's an easy thing to do. And it's totally fine to do that during a fast. And bonus points if you get coffee without mold in it, because mold will cause cravings. So if you drink a cup of coffee and an hour later you really want sugar, you're tired, you want to punch people, it wasn't the coffee. It was what was in the coffee that grew on the coffee while it was fermenting. That's a whole different story. But mycotoxins are one of the classes of things that cause cravings. So foods that aren't fresh can oftentimes cause cravings. Even leftovers sometimes cause massive cravings from histamine, which is another one of the big categories of things that cause cravings. So we're going through black coffee, and that's the first thing, and that's kind of a, a level one. Do that during a fast, and it's just easier. Level two is bulletproof coffee. And you don't have to put tons of butter in it. You can put even a half a teaspoon of butter, and this is new science. It's been driving me nuts for 10 plus years, actually, 2004 until now. How many years is that? 17 years since I first had yak butter tea. If you were smart 
you would just take a bite of butter and drink up a cup of coffee and it'd be faster. But if you don't blend it, it doesn't work. And as an engineer science guy, that pisses me off. So I wrote a $50,000 check to the University of Washington to study basic water chemistry. This was not a, a bulletproof, um, you know, test bulletproof coffee at all. They didn't test coffee. They just tested fat and water. And what they found is that butter, grass-fed butter fat, but the oil in butter, and it has to be grass-fed because that changes the type of oil in the butter. You either get seed oil in your butter if the cow eat corn and soy, or you get, if they eat grass, you get saturated fats that your body wants. It forms the largest exclusion zone in water um, that he's seen, and MTT oil forms it as well. What exclusion zone water is, is water with different viscosity. So when you and I drink a glass of water, the body disperses the water in the tissues, puts it up against cell membranes, which are made of tiny droplets of fat, and then it heats up the water with 1200 nanometer light. That's called body heat. <laughs> and when it heats up the water near fat, the water changes into something called the fourth phase of water. After it's been changed from bulk water into this fourth phase exclusion zone water, then your body can use it to make ATP, use it to burn sugar, to burn fat, to fold proteins, and to do the things that happen inside cells. And, well, if you use your blender to change the water in the coffee by putting even a small amount of butter in there, when you drink the coffee, the water from the coffee can actually be used directly to make energy without having to be heated up first. So if you wanted to get energy quickly to burn the fat that's in your body or to burn whatever MCT oil that you also put in there, which directly turns into ketones in the body, well, what you end up with is the ability to turn energy on more rapidly during a fast. So you feel good and you don't have cravings, but you did not raise your insulin at all and you did not raise your levels of something called mTOR, which is a compound that is raised when you eat protein. So since you had no protein, you had no carbs, you're getting the metabolic benefits of the fast, but you just turned off hunger. And I can say this with assuredness now, after 10 years of talking about the Bulletproof Diet, people have lost more than a million pounds. It is a, a thing that we know works. Intermittent fasting with Bulletproof Coffee has enough time for us. Uh, in fact, if you look at comments on this, uh, on this podcast, you'll see a lot of people saying, I do it, you do it, right? So we know that that does have an effect. And the third thing that has never been written about in the world of fasting that needs to be a part of this is called prebiotic fiber. Now, prebiotic fiber is not like Metamucil or sawdust. This is fiber that your body cannot digest. It doesn't raise insulin. It has no protein. So your body doesn't really see it as food. But your gut bacteria, the good guys, they see it. And like, yeah. So you grow more of the good gut bacteria that thin people have. And they turn this into something called butyric acid, which is a short-chain fatty acid that is also ketogenic. So what you just did... When you're on your first day going, there's no way, I weigh 300 pounds, I know I'm going to get hangry, it's going to be the worst morning ever, well, soluble fiber makes you live longer, or prebiotic fiber, and there's hundreds of studies I referenced in my anti-aging book about that. Well, what's the best way to consume prebiotic fiber? Yeah, you pretty much have to buy it, and there's different formulations out there. They all say prebiotic fiber on them. Mine is called Inner Fuel from Bulletproof, and the three ingredients that I use are the ones that have the most evidence behind them. One is acacia gum. It's tree sap from Africa that feeds good gut bacteria that your body can't eat. The second ingredient is larch arabenogalactin. Um, like I said, just Google the ingredients list on, on Interfuel if you want to. Larch arabenogalactin is another tree sap. And the other one is hydrolyzed guar gum, where we enzymatically break down another kind of resin from a tree. And these are things that your body can eat, but the gut bacteria go nuts. 
and they go nuts in a good way. I quadrupled the number of species of beneficial bacteria in my gut using those three compounds. Mm. You can use those safely during a fast, unless you're fasting to starve out your gut bacteria. And some types of gut fasts, especially water fasts, are there because there's something really wrong in your gut and you just want nothing that bacteria can eat so that they, you kind of, that's the kind of where you lay on a couch for a week and you drink water. Mm. If you're not doing that kind of fasting, you just wanted a stronger metabolism and you wanted more energy this morning, those three things will decimate hunger. I don't know anyone who can have that in the morning and then think about eating a donut at 10. You just don't want it. It's relatively low calorie. There might be, 100, maybe 130 calories, depending on how much of different ingredients you use. But these are calories that the body only sees as energy without turning on all the digestion mechanisms that are the problem with eating. And the hallmark of fasting is you didn't have any protein, you didn't have any carbs. What's the deal with protein? Like you talk about this in the book and it almost makes protein seem like a negative thing when we're trained all our lives that protein's the best thing. What's up with protein? Oh. It's funny. I am a huge fan of protein. I just want protein when I'm eating, and I don't want protein when I'm not eating. So when you eat protein, it raises something called mTOR. And mTOR is a signaling molecule in the body that says grow. And you might say, this is great. I want stuff to grow. The problem is that if you have grow mode on all the time, it's pro-inflammatory, and it also grows breast cancer, prostate cancer, and all the other kinds of cancer. So if you eat meat three, four, five, six times a day, um, or even high protein that, that often, what you end up with is chronically elevated grow mode. Now, if you have no meat and you go all vegan, <laughs> you're chronically low mTOR, which means you're vulnerable as you age to hip fracture. You have a, a smaller hippocampus. You didn't get enough growth. So the trick to living a long time and having higher energy is to have low mTOR, which happens when you fast, and then when you eat, to spike it really high. And mTOR works like a spring. You smash it down, and there's three things that smash mTOR down. And the, the harder you smash it, the higher it rebounds. When it rebounds, you put muscle on. So three things that suppress it. Number one is fasting. Number two is coffee. Number three is exercise. So in the book, there's a chapter on fasting and exercise, how to combine them to get the most benefits. But here's what you do. It's really cool. You skip breakfast. You work out for 10 minutes, do some squats, <laughs> do some push-ups. It doesn't have to be crazy, but you know, do them pretty aggressively, right? And now you've pushed mTOR down all three ways and then eat your protein and the protein's good for you. Mm -hmm. But if you trickle it in all morning long, you're going to be chronically elevated. You want to get swole. You do eat more protein more often, but the downside of that is chronic inflammation and increased all-cause mortality. You can be carnivore and bulletproof, by the way. There's lots of people now are talking about grass-fed only. I'm like, great. I, I, like, if it's not grass-fed, don't eat it in my plans. But most people handle low-inflammation plants and grass-fed meat and similar fats like butter as well as grass-fed meat. But it, they're very much in alignment. The problem with a carnivore-only diet can be gut bacteria disruption, which is why the soluble fiber can be really beneficial. There's In the carnivore side, there's some very aggressive people who will say, that can't be so... I think the preponderance of evidence is uh, behind what I'm saying here, uh, where it may be very beneficial to eat only protein when you eat, or in the case of carnivore protein and fat, you want to have more fat. And when you eat protein, you always want to have some collagen protein present. Now, do I sell collagen? Yes. Am I the guy who made collagen famous? Yes. <laughs> the reason collagen is important, it's a connective tissue that you normally don't eat. It's in the gristle. It's in the joints. It's in you know, the ears. And it's generally the chicken feet stuff we don't want to eat. 
So that's why I make a flavorless collagen protein and I say, yeah, when you have it at lunch, you can put it in your coffee. If you don't want intermittent fast, put it in your coffee at breakfast. Now you've had protein and fat for breakfast. It was still easy. And collagen has amino acids that cancel out some of the negative effects of getting too much animal protein, which is why anyone who's doing a carnivore diet or anyone who's read the Bulletproof Diet knows to tell. You want to eat as many parts of the animal as you can. I just don't like liver. Right, and I don't like you know chewing on chicken legs, and so I'll take my collagen powder and I'll take my liver and pills. But generally speaking, if you eat the whole animal, you're healthier. You don't have to do that to fast. The point of fasting is timing and amount. But if you want to really dial in on you know what works best, protein's good. You still want it in the morning, unless uh, there's a few corner cases you might want to do it. Let's say you're having your 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 two p.m. meal and you get some steak, you put some butter on it, and now you're you're going to eat, you're, that's going to be your meal of the day or your last meal of the day. And probably some veggies too, if you're like most people. How many calories are you, is the average person eating in that meal or, or, or per day doing, doing intermittent fasting? The, the good news is it doesn't really matter. How much do you weigh? I weigh uh, 150. Okay. Got it. I'm about 210 right now. So the average person would be right between us if we were the entire world, right? It'd be too much food for you and too little for me. So you don't have to worry about it. Also, did you work out today? Uh, I do push-ups every morning. So I don't know if that's okay, considered a workout, so, but it's, it's my exercise. No, it, anyway, it's a, it's a workout-ish. I, I did uh, five pull-ups this morning, uh, and I haven't done any squats yet. So there you go, right? But what I'm saying here is 50% of the calories that your body burns today are from respiration and room temperature. <laughs> and then there's, did you exercise, right? And how much did you sleep? And how inflamed are you? Uh, what's your body temperature? All that kind of stuff. So the number is random. I have a $26,000 device downstairs, the ones we use from Upgrade Labs, that will measure my basal metabolic rate. For me, it's 2,990 calories a day is what my body will burn. So that's what I would eat during my eating window. I don't think yours would be the same just because we're different people, right? So most of us are never going to have that degree of, of it. You don't really need to worry about it. When you learn the difference between cravings and hunger and you turn down your cravings, you'll actually just regulate your appetite. Most people find they lose weight when they intermittent fast because they now have control of their hunger and they don't overeat. But even if you do eat more than you need during that eating window, you will still lose weight or at least you won't gain weight the way you would if you just scattered that food throughout the day. So it's less about the total number of calories than the timing and the composition of the calories. You know, another thing I really appreciated about this book was you talk about all sorts of fasts, not just food fasts. For instance, you mentioned your friend yeah. who's doing a dopamine fast, or you talk about you know fasting from abstinence, fasting from sex, sobriety, fasting from alcohol. And, yeah. and what, what is the kind of basic philosophy of some of this other types of fasting? And what, what do you do? What do you recommend? And, and so on. The real definition of fasting is to go without. And most religious fasts, and there's a whole chapter about the history and the spiritual side of fasting. Most of them, you'd have tea. You wouldn't go without. And, but there's also a dry fast where you go without water, right? So even what is a fast? Well, the keto diet is fasting from carbs. The vegan diet is fasting from animal products. Right? And those are all forms of fasting. What happens is that our body tells us that we need stuff that we don't need. It's just stuff that we want. Or it's stuff that we might need in the long term, but we don't need in the short term. Your body also says you need a warm room. And when you take a cold shower in the morning, which is something I've promoted for 10 years, it's really a powerful effect on your mitochondria. 
the first time you do this, you get into the water, within 10 seconds, you have this like really heavy stress response. It's like, get out. Don't you know I need to be warm? The reality is that you will not die from a minute of cold shower. And if you do it three days in a row, your mitochondria will change the amount of cardiolipin in them and they can turn on heat more quickly and you're more resilient and you burn more calories during the day, right? So the, the signal you got in that first cold shower was, if I don't have this, I will die. Fasting is to go without things you think you need for brief periods of time to show yourself that you wanted them instead of needing them. And this is why a lot of a lot of guys, man, if I don't look at porn, like, <laughs> you know, so I, something's not right. And they do it habitually every single day. Or if I don't pick up my phone and I don't look at social media, I feel anxious. If you feel anxiety when you don't have something that you know you don't need, you could try fasting from it. In my case, I... I actually was afraid of being alone. That's one of the reasons that I went to the cave. Like, all right, I'm going to experience four days with no human contact at all because, frankly, it scared me. Not on a conscious, rational level. Fear isn't rational. Fasting sets you free from many different things. And the hardest fast of all is something that I'm doing in this fasting challenge that I'm running um, over the next few weeks. And I've got 28,000 people in it. So we're learning how to intermittent fast. But the final two or it'll be one or two days, depending on how long people want to fast. I'm doing a spiritual fast. And one of the exercises is from the book and it's fasting from hate. Most people cannot go two or four hours without thinking a bad thought about themselves, about another person or another thing. All of those bad thoughts are that first F word fear. It's just your automated defense systems looking for threats Mm. and you label them as bad. You know, look at all these idiots, all all that voice in your head. You can fast from that. You can say, all right, I'm just going to sit there and I'm not going to do that stuff because I don't need to do it. And it's showing yourself what you want versus need. I mean, fasting from that requires a certain almost meditative sort of ability, which is noticing what you're thinking in real time. Often people kind of go down a rabbit hole, or I say people, me, goes down a rabbit hole of hate. (laughs) Like I think of somebody who wronged me and then I'm thinking of my response if I were to re-respond and and you have to kind of notice that this is what you're doing and then pull out. And that's, I guess, getting practice of that, of that muscle. Is that any different than noticing that you're hungry when you know that you don't need food? Yeah, I guess, I guess most people don't notice that they're hungry. They just eat. And again, I, I mean me. One of the things, I didn't write much about this in Fast This Way, um, but I probably should have, is right now I'm using this thing. Um, it's... Uh, a continuous glucose monitor. Normally you have the sticker on here from levels, but I don't need the sticker. So you stick it on your arm and it measures your blood sugar. So you can wave your phone over your arm and it tells you how much energy is in your blood. Now, if I get really hungry and I wave my phone over my arm and it says my blood sugar is 80, it's relatively low. Um, but I'm probably have some ketones present. It's not crazy low. Uh, and I'm happy with that. But if it says my blood sugar is 65, which is pretty darn low, you know, I probably actually, it's a good time to eat right? Now, if I get hungry and my blood sugar is 120, <laughs> um, well, there's plenty of energy available in my body. My body is telling me I'm hungry. But what it really means is that it is not taking the energy that is already in the body. And that means I'm going to wait. And I say, body, could you use the energy you have before I put more in there? So you can actually get a very tight sense of, wow, which hunger is hunger? Which hunger is actually boredom? or is a craving, and they're just different things. Or which one is anxiety? Which one is stress? Which one is loneliness? They drive you to eat so you won't have to feel the feelings. 
So let's say you're out with some friends and it's six o'clock and you meet everybody at a restaurant and people are drinking and they're ordering food. What do you do? Your brain is probably telling you, you need to drink and order food like the other members of your tribe. <laughs> uh, I like San Pellegrino with lime. That works really well. It looks all alcoholic because it's got lime in there. So, you know, you're one of the cool kids. Uh, if you find that you go out drinking regularly and you measure your sleep or you measure your blood sugar or you just look at cravings, have a couple glasses of wine and then wake up the next morning and see how good that intermittent fast is, see how good the morning is. Your sleep quality will always go down when you drink. You can do stuff while you drink that'll help you feel better uh, the next morning, but still, it's probably not a great choice. And you'll just realize, maybe I don't want to do it, or maybe I'm going to take the hit and tomorrow I'll have some extra charcoal in the morning and I'll you know, do all the fasting hacks and I'll be all right. That's fine. But I actually tell the story in the book where I'm in uh, Kensington Palace in the UK, in London. Uh, and it's a, you know, a dinner with a bunch of investors and you know, it's kind of a, it's a palace for God's sake. So the waiters come out in tuxedos and they're bringing all the stuff. There's a guy sitting next to me. I was like, no, thanks. I'm like, what's going on here? And this is the former CEO of uh, Evernote. His name is Phil. And um, he's like, I'm doing a, I think it was a 48 hour fast or something. And he said, I've lost a hundred something pounds using fasting and I just traveled. This is not in my eating window. And so I'm just going to sit here and socialize with you guys and was totally cool with it. And now what happens with this is really interesting because we all have mirror neurons where we're wired to feel other people's pain. Now, for most of us, skipping a meal equals death. So then they see you saying, you know, I'm just going to have a salad and push it on a platter. I'm just, I'm not going to eat guys. I don't want to eat. I, I ate earlier or whatever. I'm just going to have something to drink. But they'll actually try to make you eat because they're feeling pain that you're not feeling that they think you're feeling because we empathize with each other. And it's really cool. So you can, you can help people feel safe. And I had another experience like that, James, that blew me away. Um, I was flying to Dubai. It's an 18 hour flight um, from Vancouver. And that's a pretty long flight. If you eat in air, you are never going to feel good when you land. Your body just doesn't have enough air and enough pressure to use food properly. So I don't eat when I fly, and I feel much better. I don't have jet lag anywhere on the planet. I do some other stuff too for jet lag. But that's kind of a magic situation. But I get on there. Okay, first class Emirates. Um, fortunately, someone else was buying the ticket. This is where there's like a private shower on the airplane, and you can order whatever you want. There's a little mini bar. You press a button, it goes, and it comes up, and you get it's nuts. Anyway, I go, I don't want a menu because I'm not going to eat. And Lady goes, what? Really, you should, you should, you'll need it. And no, really, I just don't want it. And so she goes away and she sends another stewardess over. And, and I said, no, it's okay. Like, I, I'm not going to die on this flight. I promise you. I just, I'm not going to eat on the flight. I just don't want to, you know, have the menu floating around here. And she looks at me and she goes, wait, you're Dave Asprey. And I go, yeah. She goes, oh my God, I have your bulletproof coffee up, up there. And I'm, you know, because I fly so much, I have to do this. I totally get it. Can I make you a bulletproof coffee? And that's the only thing I do when I fly is I'll do one of those because it doesn't have all those other effects of sugar and whatnot. So she made me a bulletproof coffee, but she felt safe with me not eating because she understood fasting. What's going to happen as a result of fast this way is that all of us are going to get more respectful when someone says, I don't want to eat now. Like James, if I said, hey man, let's meet tomorrow and go to the gas station. Let's both fill up our tanks. You're like, Dave, my tank is already full. I don't need gas. 
right? But like, yeah, but it's time to go. So just put the thing in there and pump, right? You wouldn't do it because it doesn't make sense. And we've we've got this strange idea that we all have to meet at the same time and all have to pump gas and usually the same amount of gas in our tanks. Whereas if I'm breaking my fast and I go to that same dinner, I'm going to say, can I have two entrees? Because this is all I'm going to eat today, right? And and then people say, well, what's going on there? You know, are you a glutton? It's like, no, I'm hungry, right? So we can just lose a lot of the judgment about that. And it's totally cool to hang out with people and socialize and just say, I'm going to drink something. Well, Dave, this book was filled with nonstop information. A lot of diet books, I feel like, give a recipe or a remedy for, you know, gaining weight and feeling sluggish and all this, but they don't really explain what what they're doing or the explanations don't really make that much sense. And like you pointed out, not every, not, not food recipes, but, you know, recipe for dieting is for everybody. And this book really is so comprehensive and so informative. It should be the book on dieting as opposed to all these other BS things that are out there. So I appreciate you writing this. I appreciate all the times you've been on the podcast. I've had Thanks. You're you're you've been on the podcast since 2014. I always remember, even now, I remember all of our podcasts because I always have strong takeaways and things that changed my life. And I feel like podcast is not worth it to me unless it's going to change my life. I'm not I'm not in this to just <laughs> kind of transmit information. I want my life to be better. That's how I get to call people up and have them on my podcast who are going to make my life better. And this podcast is definitely doing the trick. This is an excellent book. Fast This Way, uh, and the subtitle is Burn Fat, Heal Inflammation, and Eat Like the High-Performing Human You Were Meant to Be, Dave Asprey. And just one last question. What's the best thing you would recommend for if you want to like boost brain power? Sleep. Yeah? And intermittent fasting are the two biggest things. They're both free. If you get better at sleeping and you don't eat all the time, your brain will work better. And if you're looking for a short-term, I need to rock right now, and I don't care about long-term consequences, this is going to make everybody mad. All right. Bulletproof coffee, two tablespoons of sugar. Mm. Because the <laughs> Put it in there too. Because the sugar will have a little bit of a spike. Short-term, a glucose spike is shown in lots of studies to increase brain power for a short period. So does caffeine, and so does the MCT oil that's in there. So for that two-hour window when you just need to absolutely rock it, you will have full-power glucose, full-power ketones, and caffeine and coffee power behind that, and you'll be a great golden god, and you'll hate yourself later. Excellent. I like hating myself later, so I will <laughs> keep that in mind. But thank you so much, Dave Asprey. Uh, what was the website where everybody could find the foods and all this kind of stuff? Sure. Go to fastthisway.com. Sign up for the fasting challenge and training. I'm teaching the book for two weeks. It is no cost, literally a video every day, three live Q&As. I just want people to know this stuff, James. Like I've written enough books at this point. So this is me giving back, saying thanks for buying the book. It's fastthisway.com, all the resources. I just want you guys to have these. Even if you don't buy the book, I want you to have it. Yeah, and, and again, the book is Fast This Way. You can get it on bookstores anywhere or Amazon because everybody's locked down right now. And once again, Dave, thanks for coming on the podcast. You got it, man. 